Please remain standing as we come before God's word. We'll join together in likely the practice of Jesus and reciting the Shema. Would you follow after me? Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Had. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture this morning is from the letter of James. He's the brother of Jesus. He is in charge of the church of uh, Jerusalem and then the surrounding churches. And he says this at the conclusion of his letter in chapter 5. Are, is there any... Um, Is there any in trouble? Let him pray. Are there any who are happy? Let them sing praises. Is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders to pray for them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the prayer offered in faith will make the sick well and the Lord will raise him up if he has sinned. He will be forgiven. Therefore, uh, brothers and sisters, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. For the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. One thing we can say about the churches to whom James writes, if you look at the letter, is that they've got issues. They've got big issues. If if you look at the letter, you find out that some of them are struggling with sickness. Some of them are suffering with hardship, maybe even persecution. And then on top of that, they can't seem to get along with each other. Among the things James says happens in the churches are they criticize each other. They show favoritism for the rich over the poor among each other. Uh, They attack each other verbally. He even uses the word slander on a couple different occasions. He says they even fight each other. And then they are uh, judgmental one of another. It is a church with issues, both within and without. And the advice he gives them in chapter 5 basically is threefold. The first thing he says is pray. The main thing you've got to do is pray. Then the second thing he says, though you have to read the lines to see him saying this, is submit, or in other words, honor the, uh, the spiritual authorities in your midst. If you're sick, call for the elders to come and pray for you and then submit to Jesus Christ by uh, putting anointing with oil that is in his name. Uh, so that's, that's not easy. Uh, it's one thing to pray. It's something else to submit. But then it gets even harder. His third piece of advice is, and confess your sins to each other. And I have to say, confession is not easy. It's, uh, we don't often see it. Uh, in our uh, public life and probably don't even often practice it in our private life. Uh, there was earlier this week, you may have noticed in the paper, a reprint of a column in the New York Times. And, and the columnist was talking about how our politicians are just unable to say they're wrong about something. So they make uh, predictions about how some program will be terrible and will drive the country to ruin or whatever. And when it doesn't happen, they never say, oops. Or maybe they have some program they think is going to really be wonderful and and do great things. And when it doesn't, no one ever says, I guess I missed on that one. Among our leaders, there's a conspiracy of, of silence. No one ever admits that they make a mistake. But it's not just our leaders. I mean, I do the same thing. I remember vividly a couple of years ago. 
uh, it was uh, a weekend evening, and I'm sure there was a game on because I went very unwillingly with my wife and son to something at the Botanical Gardens. And so I sort of, you know, suffered through it wanting to be somewhere else. And, and then wanting to get home in time for Sports Center, uh, there was a long line of cars heading toward one exit. And I, well, basically I just made my own exit. And my, my youngest son is with her said, Dad, you know, you're cutting. You're not in line. That, that's not an exit. And I said, yes, it is. It's an exit. Look, there's an opening there. Uh, it, there is an exit, and, and I can do this. And he says, Dad, no, everybody else is in line. And, and you're throwing off the traffic. And I go, no, I'm not. I knew he was right, but, but I didn't say anything about it. Confession is difficult for public people, but it's difficult for private people as well. And that's a problem because unconfessed sins, according to James 5, are a real big issue in our life and have really draining effects. And, and one of the ways that I would describe the effects of not confessing our sin is by comparing our unconfessed sin to a backpack full of stuff. And one of the things that happens if you've got a heavy backpack full of stuff, you don't move anywhere very quickly or effectively. And so one of the things that you notice in the Bibles when people have sin that they haven't confessed, they always have to cover up for it so they never really make progress. Take Joseph's brothers who lied to their father and when they sold Joseph into slavery, they said, well, a wild animal must have killed them. Then as you watch the story unfold and the brothers end up in Egypt, you notice it's like their moves on the chessboard are sort of limited because they've never told their father the whole truth. And so when Joseph, who of course knows who they are, wants to know about the little brother and wants them to bring their little brother, they're deathly afraid because they've never told their father it was their fault that they lost the other young brother, Joseph, in the first place. And so you see their unconfessed sin just, just paralyzes them, keeps them from moving in a new direction. A Rick Warren, a famous preacher, put it this way. He said, you cannot very well relate to the present if you're still reacting to the past. And one of the ways the past takes hold of our life is through our unconfessed sin and for the mistakes that we're not willing uh, to admit to God and to one another. But also like this backpack. When our sins are there in the backpack and they don't come out, they never see the light of day, so they never experience uh, healing. Uh, one of the things that counselors will say is in a phrase something like this, what is unshared is unhealed. And that is those dark things in your life, if you never bring them to the light, they will never get healed. As long as they stay stuffed in our backpack, they're going to continue to work on us. And there's no chance of them, of them getting better. And it gets worse. When you get used to stuffing all your unconfessed sins in your backpack and just keeping them there, you tend to add more to it. And it starts to have a cumulative effect. And, and the, actually the rate that you start to, uh, to sin actually increases. And, and you just keep stuffing it back there. And that doesn't lead uh, to very good uh, results for any of us. In fact, James wants to suggest that maybe some of the suffering and illness that people are experiencing is because of that sin that they've stuffed inside and they've never let out. And when you talk to physicians about how much of the illnesses they see are stress-related or even psychosomatic, you begin to understand that James may be on to something, uh, that just stuffing things uh, and, and never letting our sins see the light of day actually doesn't help us get healthier. Uh, 
our um, uh, recovery pastor, Chris Estes, put it like this. He said, the fifth step of the 12 steps is that you are to confess your sin to God and one other person. But he, then he went on to say, and invariably I find that when a person does not do number five, they end up roaring drunk. Just when they don't do the confession, they just end up piling on and things get worse. And so unconfessed sin is just like a weight. It's like a 50-pound backpack on, on your back and it, it hampers you in the present and prevents you from moving for the future. And confession, what it does is it finally gets that off your back and begins to relieve the burden that you're going around with. But something else happens, I think, in confession. And that is, it sort of frees up your hands, to use a different metaphor. Uh, One of the things God wants us to receive is forgiveness. But one of the reasons you and I don't realize deep down that we're forgiven is because we're holding on to our sins. And so when we're holding them and clutching them, we can't receive the forgiveness God is trying to give us. Because the way God works is an interesting way. God typically provides for us through other human beings. And theologically, the church called this incarnation or or in flesh. In other words, the way that you and I know that we're loved and forgiven is when we experience it in another person. And so one of the things about confessing our sin before God and another person is actually allows us to receive the forgiveness that God wants us to know. Forgiveness is just not an abstract thought. It's, It's not something up in the ether world. Forgiveness is real and it's concrete. And the way you and I know it's real and concrete is when we actually share our our, uh, sin and confess it to another person. And they can share with us in flesh God's God's forgiveness. So I find that, that, um, that it frees me up to receive the love God really wants to give me. And then James notes that it, it frees me up also to take the hand of another person and to be back in relationship with them. When I'm holding on to my sin through unconfession, it's hard to reach out and, and form and rebuild relationships with other people. But one of the beautiful things about confession is it opens us up not only to receive what God is giving us, but also to grasp one another So it relieves burdens and really restores relationship. There's just no value in in a life without confession. And there's great value in a life uh, with confession. It's something very powerful. But because it's so powerful... I compare it to like working with explosives. When you, when you get into this confession thing, you want to be very careful. So I want to give you four pieces of advice about confession uh, this morning. One, because it, it is so flammable in, in so many ways. And the second, that if you're like me, you're not real practiced in it. And so here's the first thing. The, always remember that confession starts in love. That confession is grounded in the fact that you are unconditionally loved uh, by your Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. So confession is not first of all about how bad a person you are. Confession is about you are a loved and valued person and God wants you to experience love and know that value and reach the potential that God has for you in your life. And you simply can't get there uh, by carrying a backpack of sin and regret around. So it starts um, from a position of knowing that you're loved. And if you don't know uh, and remind yourself that you're, that you're good and you're loved, uh, your confession is going to go haywire and it's going to go bad real fast. It's not about how bad you are. It's about a loved and valuable person that God wants to experience uh, freedom. And God will grant you freedom through confession. Second thing, 
is uh, how do you know what to confess? And typically one of two things have been helpful. Uh, one is uh, sort of looking at your life. If you've never done it before, uh, a life review. In the 12 steps, some of you may know the fourth step is that you make a fearless moral inventory of your life. Uh, one of the ways Martin Luther did it was by the Ten Commandments and thought of all Ten Commandments and like, where do I stand with each one of the ten when I look back in my life? Other church mothers and fathers have used uh, the seven deadly sins, uh, you know, Pride and, and anger and greed and envy and lust and sloth and my favorite, gluttony. Um, and they look at their life that way. But basically, you're looking at your life, at like, and uh, if you've never done it before, and where are those uh, sins? Another thing, though, that you can do is simply a daily review. When you get to the end of your day or tomorrow morning when you wake up, you play the game film back for the past 24 hours and say, what did I do that I ought not to have done? What did I not do that I should have done? Was there something I should have said and I didn't have the courage to say it? Was there something I shouldn't have said but I was, I was um, so frustrated I did, I did say it? And, and you look at a 24-hour uh, review. Now, uh, Donna's helpful in reminding me that 24-hour review also and life review are not just about bad things. But confession is also confession for what God has done for you. So it's also helpful that what has God done for me that I've recognized in the last 24 hours? And, and that's a beautiful part of confession is to be able to say, God, thank you. You've, you've done this and you've done that. Uh, so the first thing is know your love. Then begin to examine your life and uh, at least the last 24 hours. Then the third thing is, is when you've done that, where do you go with it? And that's where the confession comes in. You take it to God. And to one other person, I take it to God because God already knows and that God is very gentle uh, with my sin. God's desire is not to crush me. God's desire is to lift me up. And so when I take my sin to God, I want God to show me a couple of things. Why did I do that? Why did I not do that? God, show me what's going on inside of me. Why, why do I tend to react that way? Uh, because if I'm clear about why I did it, then I'm less likely to repeat it in the future. And then I want God to show me what happened because of it. Did somebody suffer? Uh, was someone hurt in this? Uh, is there something that I would need to make, make right? And so... One of the things I want to do is confess this before God. And, and then having done that... And this is the tricky part. Then you want to take it now to one other person. And the only the best advice I can give you here is the same advice that Indiana Jones received when he's trying to find uh, the, the Holy Grail. And that is you must choose wisely. Um, you, you've got to be careful about whom you share uh, your secret, um, uh, what, is remained, what has been thus far secret in your sin with. And one of the things that I figured out who a, a trustworthy person is, I might... Um, uh, send up a trial balloon. I might share with them something that even if other people found out, it wouldn't be crushing. But if it gets back to me within a few days, I'll know that, that it got out. Uh, so one thing is you, just, you, you build experience with a person to learn if they're trustworthy. And the kind of person you want is not the one that's going to tell you, oh, that's no big deal. Oh, I've done worse than that. Are you kidding? You want a person who will take it seriously, but graciously. A person who knows that what you've done matters to you and matters to God and matters to other people. But nonetheless, you are loved and forgiven. So you want to choose uh, the right person. So uh, what I've done 
is I want to start with the fact that I'm loved and never forget that, that it starts in how good God has made me, not in how bad I am. And then I want to look at my life and review. Then I want to take it to God and another person. And then the last step is if there's something that needs to be made right or fixed, then I want to fix it. Was someone hurt in what I did? Can I go to them and make it right? Did I say something I shouldn't have said? Do I need to go? Did I leave someone with the impression that I'm better than I am? That my church is bigger than it is? Yeah, did I do that? Can I, can I go to them and fix that? Uh, and, and maybe if it's something uh, that you've done that you know really, really only God's aware of and was really only involved in, then one of the things you may want to do is, is go back and, and re-promise to God that, that in the future uh, I'll not do this or I will do this. But the fourth step ends up making it right. But I want to remind you, that except for a few of us who are, who are trained surgeons, um, we're not very good with a scalpel. And you have to be careful when you start digging a, around in your own life. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that I heard recently is, if you'll remember President McKinley that was assassinated, you know, for a while he got better. And then he died. And one of the things people in the 21st century say, looking back more than 100 years, is that he may very well have died because of excessive probing of his gunshot wound that led to infection. And so you have to be careful. God's scalpel is going to be more effective than yours. And, and God will, deal, will know just how deep to cut and just how much to cut. And so trust that in confession first with God, God will know the appropriate and gentlest way to help you get free and healed. And that's just not something you have to figure out on your own because most of us are going to dig too much uh, and, and too deep and there'll be a problem. I've always found that God is so much better with my sin than I am. And so two years ago, uh, after I'd slept on it, I knew I'd yeah, it wasn't a huge mistake, but it was in front of my son, and it was an obvious lie. And so the next morning I said to him, you know, you are right. I just flat cut in line last night, you know, made my own exit. I, you know, I, was, I wanted to see if I could get home and find out who won the game. And, and, and I shouldn't have that. That was a bad example for you. It wasn't fair to the other drivers. And he's like, that, dad, dad, that's okay. He said, he said, you know, I was way too harsh on you anyway. And I thought about that. If my son can forgive me, how much more so my loving father?